everybody. Welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Thorns Matt Court. How you doing? Uh, you know, I'm recovering. Slow but sure. <laughs> um, n- not been a, a fun week for uh, the men's side of Oregon athletics. Um, the uh, Let's start talking about the men's basketball team. Their second game of the year was against UC Irvine um, and at a surprise uh, upset loss. Um, in which they just uh, shot really poorly um, until the very end of the game, which sort of garbage time. Um, tonight, they bounced back and, and just absolutely hammered Montana State, and made it look like, uh, oh, I, you know, nothing was, you know, nothing to see here. Um, <laughs> what do you, uh, what do you think? Is there something to see here? It's hard to say for sure yet. Uh, we, you know, we know from previous experience that Dana Altman teams can take a while to get any traction. They're, uh, they, the thing that's weird about it is you've got enough players back from last season where you would sort of expect them to sort of, if not pick up right where they left off, at least uh, avoid some of the growing pains that they might have had in the previous season from just not having as much familiarity with each other. But that sure didn't happen in the Irvine game. And, and uh, it, it's hard to say if it was uh, a problem of, of uh, you know, not knowing each other, but they just, it's one of these games where they just came out and couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with a shot. They ended up four for 21 from three, the three point line. And honestly, they made three, three of those four shots in the last 90 seconds of the game. So before that they were one for 18 from beyond the arc. And I mean, you're just not going to I don't care who I almost don't care who you're playing. You're not going to be all that competitive if you're hoisting that many shots from deep and not making any. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, a bad performance from the, the charity stripe too. you know, and the Dante got, you know, got 11 shots and only made six of them. Um, everybody else, except for, you know, Williams, uh, did, did okay. But like, you know, Dante was definitely the one who's drawn the fouls. Uh, it was sort of like driving most of the action in that game. He definitely has the best stat line, um, or at least the, you know, stands out the most, you know, a bunch of rebounds, uh, four blocks, um, put up the most points for Oregon with 20. Um, and that was, that's without any of those three pointers. Um, uh, you know, I, I think Dante is for real. Um, and yes. if this, if, if, you know, other than the free throws, which like, okay, make your free throws, dude. But like, you know, his stat line alone looks like a stat line from a winning basketball team. So yes, like, let's put decent, a pin. Sure. Yeah. Let, let's put a pin in that. But like Quincy Gary, zero points, you know, mm-hmm. zero for five from the floor. Um, you know, uh, Soares, you know, one for three. Will Richardson is probably the biggest, like, oh my God. Um, you know, uh, four points, I think, for the guy, you know, yeah, one and, for and six seven from turnovers. the floor. Yeah, and seven uh, turnovers. And that was the other place where the team just struggled, which which is holding on to the basketball. They had 15 turnovers in this game. It was just a brutal, um, you know, and it looked, honestly, it looked like an early season effort. Okay. Sure. But, but the other side didn't look that way, which is. Yeah, exactly. Give a lot of credit to Irvine. Like, sure. You know, this, this is a game in which they're, they're out talented. There's no point, you know, avoiding discussing that. Uh, uh, but and you know they were they were in a position you know to win this game and, and you know win comfortably because of you know you know because Oregon's 
you know, being in a funk, uh, you know, put them in that position, but like, you know, they still got to put their shots in the basket, you know, they yes. still got to, you know, take the ball away. They still got to rebound and they still got to protect the ball and they did all of those things. And so, you know, good for them. Don't take a single thing away, from, you know, from Irvine. It's just, you know, if Oregon were on, they would have run them off the floor because that's the nature of that talent disparity, but wasn't the case. Uh, and, and Irvine took advantage. So, so good for them. Um, uh, you know, they are sitting on top of the big West, you know, right now, I actually, you know, <laughs> I, there's a, you know, like, I, I think they're the odds on, if, if I'm not mistaken about this, I think they're the odds on favorite to make the tournament, um, from the, from the big West, like, Hey, there's a possibility for a revenge game. If this yeah, lines great. up right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, again, without taking a single thing away from Irvine, like this was just like, what the hell, Oregon? And what makes it even more strange is that, you know, just before we started recording this podcast on, on Tuesday night, um, you know, they just destroyed Montana State, you know, like a right. 30 point win, um, yeah. you know, and, and, and without, wire to wire too, you know. Yeah. And without a gigantic contribution uh, from Dante in this game. Mm-hmm. In, in the Montana State, he only had seven points, which, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but I mean, he didn't have to lead the scoring and they ended up with uh, yeah. five players and double figures instead of, you know, two, which is what they had in the game against Irvine. Right, exactly. Like, that's the crazy thing is it's a total reversal. Uh, Khalil Ware came off the bench uh, and was the leading scorer for Oregon. Um, made two for three, you know, for a three-point line, which, you know, for a big guy, like, that's cool. Uh, they shot better than 53% from the floor. Um, they shot better than 44% from the three point line, which is like, Oh, now they won't stop going in. Okay. Um, right. The free, the free throw performance was still terrible. Like I still don't understand why this team can't make a, a a flip and free throw. Like it's the one thing that you a hundred percent control. Um, like make free throws, dude. It seems to me like the, we might be looking at least early on at sort of a streaky three point, shooting team because the Irvine game it's it wasn't that every shot you had a hand in your face and they were and Irvine was really contesting the three-point line that's not what happened Oregon had plenty of open looks from beyond the arc and just couldn't make them and tonight of course complete reversal of that I haven't seen the the video of the game but my get my guess is it's probably pretty similar uh guys open and able to take the shot without too much harassment from Montana state. But tonight they went in. Uh, and the other thing is the defensive, you know, stats all look pretty, you know, pretty good. The, the, the uh, uh, you know, I, I, every single player had either a, a block or a steal or a defensive rebound, um, with the exception of Paris. Uh, uh, but the other 10 dudes, every single one of them has at, at least one block, at least one steal, or at least one defensive rebound, multi, and, and several guys, you know, a lot, uh, yes. or, you know, um, uh, the, the, you know, it's, uh, the, they're, uh, you know, I, I think that this is actually, you know, probably a pretty good defensive team. Um, like even when, when Irvine was running them off the floor, they still didn't crack 70, you know, because like, right. I, I still think that this is a still a pretty deep, you know, and, and that was, you know, and that was a game in which they weren't really generating turnovers. Like Oregon was turning over the ball rather than, yes. than getting turnovers. And they still, you know, kept, kept Irvine scoring, you know, pretty low because I, I actually think this is a pretty good defensive team, you know, whether the ball's falling into the basket or not for them on the offensive side. Um, uh, uh, so like, you know, 
that's good to have in your pocket. That was definitely not something that I could say about some of the past Altman teams. No, um, and that's something he emphasizes. So it's nice that we can look at that and say, oh, okay, the messaging is getting through to the players that what what he wants is a tough defensive squad. And the, and even in the Irvine game, when they in the second half, when they went to full court pressure, they were playing hard and and working at it, but Irvine just had very little trouble in moving it past and, and getting it over the half court line. So it, it wasn't from lack of effort by the ducks uh, in, in the full court press. And so it's good to know that it's a team that hopefully will continue to focus on the defensive end of the floor as well. The other interesting thing is uh, how Altman was managing the bench, you know, basically um he, he pulled sores from uh, the starting group, even though he wound up playing, uh, you know, a decent number of minutes and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, he got seven points, you know, shot six times from the floor. Um, but uh, they put Biddle in um, and Biddle actually mm-hmm. pretty, you know, pretty, pretty decent game. And like uh, having both, you know, Dante and Biddle in at the same time is kind of an interesting look. Um uh, I'm, I'm, idea. yeah, exactly. I'm curious to see if that continues. Um, and then on top of that, Khalil Ware came in off the bench and, and was, you know, like I said, was the, the leading, you know, scorer from the bench, you know? Yes. So like, I don't know, maybe they'll have a triple towers. Like, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a great thing to have though. I mean, you want to have, eventually you're going to go to your bench and you want to have somebody that come in and continue whatever offensive momentum you managed to build in the, the period before you start subbing out a starter uh, to bring in the bench players. Somebody's got to come in and do something. You're not just going to sit on the lead or whatever. You've got to continue to keep the pressure on the opponent. And that's what's great in seeing guys come off the bench uh, like Ware did tonight and light it up a little bit. Uh, well, the next game um, is uh, this coming Sunday uh, against Houston. Uh, you're going to be covering that one. Yes. Um, so I, what are you looking forward to in this game? Well, one of the things I, I'm interested to, fu- to, to watch carefully is the Ducks' ability to take care of the ball. Because, again, uh, against Montana State, they still had double-digit turnovers, mm-hmm. um, not – obnoxiously high. I mean, they had 14 instead of 15, which is what they had in the Irvine game. But uh, I, I want to see him make some pro. I'd like to see him make some progress in that area, just being more careful with the ball because you're just giving possessions away uh, to the other team. And that's, you know, no way to do anything. So hopefully they'll figure out a way to be a little more careful with the basketball and uh, flip those numbers around so they're generating more turnovers from the opposition than they're making themselves. And I also, obviously, now that we've had this Twin Towers experiment or whatever it is that that, uh, Coach Altman sees it as, uh, I'm going to look forward to seeing if that continues. Did did that make enough of an impression uh, against Montana State that it's something that the coach wants to come back to uh, and see if that might not be a sort of semi-permanent starting lineup for the ducks uh well that game uh is going to be on espn uh uh 6 30 pacific uh on sunday uh join us on atq for for coverage uh should be a pretty good game you know houston's three you know uh typically a pretty good team um they're they're currently leading um the uh the american conference um or they're tied for first place with cincinnati um and uh, should be a real game. Um, I, I hope everybody joins us for coverage at ATQ. Let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about uh, the football team's performance against Washington.
that sucked. Yeah, that was uh, that was not a pleasant uh, afternoon and evening. I have to say, I would I well, could, I could easily have lived without it. Yeah, I mean, it's it sucks to lose to Washington for like a, a million different reasons, um, and, and like you know, I, I sort of think that like you know, a lot of the flaws that we saw in this team in like, you know, disparate ways, you know, in other games, it sort of like all happened in this game. Um, mm-hmm. And in a way that like, in particular, like not having a reliable backup quarterback, you know, not really having a pass rush, um, you know, uh, having a young coaching staff that I think makes some strategic errors at times or mm-hmm. sometimes outsmarts itself. Um, this is yeah. Dan Lanning's first time being a head coach, man. Like the, the fact that he's gotten this far in, in his like 10th game ever as a head coach, um, is actually pretty damned impressive, but like, I still detect strategic errors, which, you know, I'll, I'll mention a couple of them in a, in a moment, but like, I sort of felt like I didn't think it was going to be this game, but I sort of felt like this, you know, a loss like this was coming, um, you know, to like keep or, you know, to, to like tamp down this playoff talk, like, which would have just been ridiculous. Um, you know, if they, if they managed to like slide their way into that by, by, by going undefeated in the pack 12, which like nobody does. Uh, and, um, and, you know, they, this was just it, not a complete enough, you know, full spectrum team, you know, to be competitive with the guys at the very top, you know, right now where like the coaches have all been in place for 10 years or something like that, you know, and, and, right. and, and have been stacking recruiting classes, you know, uh, you well, know, if Oregon. You'd seen here, if you'd seen some, some of the things that you mentioned in your article and, and have been problems during the course of the season if you'd started to see some improvement in those areas as the season has gone along and again as you mentioned we're in the 10th game I mean by this point problems should have been identified and solved if they could be um, then you can start looking down the road at at a you know the winning out and winning the Pac-12 championship and going into the playoffs I, I don't I don't know how confident you'd be if you're going to face Georgia again in the in the first mm. semifinal but at least you can imagine, well, there's a chance for some success for this team because they had these challenges and they've corrected problems. Yeah. And I mean, I like the way that you phrased that. Like, I think the evidence probably indicates that these are not correctable problems in the year 2022. Like these are, these are talent issues that will need to be resolved, like probably through the transfer portal. Um, you know, they've sort of changed again, the transfer portal rules so that, you know, things are a lot more, you can make some immediate changes through the transfer portal, um, right. you know, in ways that you were more restricted uh, in the past. Um, and, uh, you know, with the exception of the offensive line, you, you really, you know, you really can parachute dudes in, you know, like, um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the players throughout Pac-12 play that have given Oregon trouble, including some of the pass rushers, um, you know, that Washington deployed that like gave Oregon its hardest game. Oregon's offensive tackles, you know, had their, their most trouble against any team this year. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and that includes Georgia. Well, you know, one of the, one of the dudes who's coming at them, you know, is a, is a transfer from Texas A&M. Um, so like, uh, you know, the, the, the possibility is there, you know, to, to make some like transfer portal changes like the Bonix is probably, so like, you know, the pass rush definitely needs to be supplemented, um, by some new blood. Um, and, and they need a reliable backup quarterback. Um, because, you know, even though Bonix came back into this game, you know, like they had, they had to play four snaps, you know, with Ty Thompson who, who like, it's very clear from watching the defense that the defense knew that he was not going to be throwing the ball. Um, yes. and, and 
you know, so it's, you know, three yard run, three yard run, three yard run, you know, slip and fall on fourth and one. Um, yeah. You know. I would dearly love to know, uh, to be able to get inside that young man's head to find out yeah. what's going on because uh-huh. he, he just seems defeated. And I don't know if it's that he thought he was going to be the starter this year or something. And Nick's came in and, you know, took the job that he thought he was going to have or what it is, but, you know, I've seen him on the sidelines and nobody stands next to him. Nobody talks to him. Oh, I don't Um, know about that stuff. Like I don't, well, it just seemed weird to me that, uh, that, I mean, he wasn't, he, I mean, when he's been in the game, I'm not talking about just generally. I mean, when he's been coming in uh, to back up Knicks in garbage time or whenever it is, and he runs back to the sideline after a series, he, there's no like huddling up. He's not going to talk to anybody. And if you watch Knicks on the sideline after the offense comes off the field he's around talking to different players uh encourage encouraging them talking about what they can do better whatever it is but he's involved with his teammates and i d- haven't seen that now admittedly he doesn't get uh thompson doesn't get nearly as much camera time as bo gets yeah see so that's maybe i, 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 I really you know it. honestly you know? i don't like i don't love this line of of reasoning because there's like were you watching 100 percent of the sidelines yeah, no line, absolutely you know? not like, absolutely uh, not you know, I see him a lot. His his hair is pretty distinctive. I see him in puddles and <laughs> conversations all the time. Like, okay. um, but I guess I'll put it this way: like, even if you take the maximally you know pro Ty Thompson anti this coaching staff stance, um, on you know his development and his play during the time that he's got, like, even if you take the maximal stance, it is clear that. Which would be that, like, this staff has sabotaged him and betrayed right. him, right? Like, but even if you believe that, that staff's not going anywhere, man. Like, right. they're yeah. going to get big fat extensions at the end of this year. Um, and, like, even if you believe that this staff has unfairly and cruelly betrayed Ty Thompson, that, you know, the, the, the die is cast. Like, they don't yes. trust him to throw the ball. Um, mm-hmm. and they're there and defenses know it and defenses change the way that they play. And the instant you become one dimensional, you're dead. Um, so like the, 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 because even like during that death drive in the fourth quarter, Oregon still throws some screens, but they're RPO screens. It's off the way that the defense plays mm-hmm. and that those, you know, mm-hmm. keeping, keeping the throw option open to keep the defense honest was essential to keeping, you know, them from being nine man boxes. Um, and that's why Oregon was able to successfully, you know, move down the field was that they, you know, they brushed back the defense when they attempted to do that. There was no such brush back possible with Ty Thompson because they didn't trust him to throw or at least the defense didn't think that he was going to throw and he sure right. didn't like, you know, do it. So like, you know, the, the die has been cast, man, like, uh, uh, you know, the, the, you know, Bonix has probably gone to the NFL. He's probably going to keep his word, even though I think he still has a couple of years of eligibility left. Right. Um, yeah. You know, if they don't take a grad transfer, you know, because like, you know, Dante Moore, I have every reason to expect that he's going to be great, maybe even great enough to start as a as a, a true freshman. Um, but if they don't take a grad transfer quarterback to at least be his backup. And they leave the situation as, you know, Thompson and Butterfield are his backups, but they don't trust Thompson to throw. And they apparently don't trust Jay Butterfield at all because we haven't right. seen, seen come him. Into the game. Yeah. Like they're in, in deep trouble. Like you need to like, like Oregon during meaningful play has had four snaps played by Ty Thompson 
and they were disastrous you know like they you know like the 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 it it happens it happens that during meaningful play you're gonna need to put in the backup for some stuff you know like maybe not much but some and like in a competitive game that's a problem if you don't have a, a credible, you know, backup quarterback. So like they definitely need to take, you know, a, a transfer, probably two transfers. Um, it, 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 it probably wouldn't be a bad idea if one of the, you know, Thompson or Butterfield transferred out and they took a grad transfer and then maybe like a sophomore transfer. Um, mm-hmm. So that this room, you know, probably looks like more uh, one of Thompson and Butterfield and then like maybe two transfers. Um uh, for 2023, but we're really far ahead of ourselves. Um, absolutely. Yeah. No, but it's interesting to speculate on it because something's going to have to be done. If Nix is leaving, even despite sure. the fact that he has eligibility and he could stay, something has to be done. Uh, assuming that, um, you know, the freshman isn't ready to start, but the, like the, 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 you know, the other thing is, uh, well, there's two things that are worth talking about in this game. You know, the the first is just sort of structurally they 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 weren't able to defend the pass, you know, in this game. And like arguably they're sort of making a strategic choice to let them march down the field and then tighten up in the red zone, which they effectively did. They actually played pretty good, you know, red zone defense in this game and the reason why they had a four-point advantage and possession of the ball going into the fourth quarter, you know, was for that reason. Um, you know, Washington won the coin flip and then decided to take the ball, which I thought was a real mistake. Um, you know, and then, you know, effectively on, on Washington's first three possessions, you know, two of them were field goals and one of them was only a touchdown drive because Oregon gave up a third and 14 that the quarterback scrambled for, which like I wrote, uh, you know, a whole thing in my article about how like this guy, you know, has had two different ACL reconstructions. He is not a scrambler. So you miss him in the backfield and allow him to convert a first down that should have been a punt. Like, oh my God. Just yeah, like, oh, my God, dude, like, uh, you know, just the total absence of pass rush is just sort of shocking. Um, but they did their job in the red zone. And, you know, Oregon won the other three quarters of foot uh, quadrants of football. Uh, right. Like they're 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 You know, as as you can read in my article, you know, their Russian pass defense were, or excuse me, offense were, you know, unstoppable. You know, in fact, mm-hmm. in some aspects were better in this game that they had been in a bunch of other games against less talented teams. Um and, and, you know, they did their job in the rush defense. They did their job in, uh, in, in red zone defense. You know, they got slaughtered between the 20s and they gave up two big passes for quick scores, you know, and th- those are, that's a problem. Um, and, and it's, you know, the, the, the lack of pass rush is still a problem. But like, this is still that, you know, the, both the fundamentals and the way that the game was actually played, this was definitely a winnable game for Oregon. And that's what stings so bad. And, and in my opinion, where it comes down, the, different people, you know, located at different points. You know, some people think it's the onside kick. I don't really have a problem with the on, onside kick because it allowed them to get the ball back fast enough so they got another possession. Now, they didn't wind up doing anything with that possession right before the half, but like they still got the ball back. And, you know, but, you know, uh, and then the, you know, other people are like, oh, the decision not to put Nick's in, even though he was be- coming back from the tent where he probably got like a tour all shot. Um, you know, like, I don't know, man, like I located at the end, like I like the death drive strategy. They, they're up by four. They have the ball. They drain like 10 and a half minutes off the clock. Mm. Right. Like if they punch it in for a touchdown, they go up 11 and the game is now over. Right. Because even if Washington right. gets a score, 
they're still down by four again or with like two minutes left on the clock, which Oregon just runs out, right? Yeah. Like their yeah, defense provided, is not... provided they don't onside kick you or you don't fumble. Right, exactly. So you have to look... Yeah, but like they would totally be on alert for the onside kick, you know, yes, like absolutely. Um, it's not likely to be successful. Right. So like it's a, effectively they guarantee you win. And the, here's the thing that was just totally, absolutely baffling to me. They get down to the low road, the red zone. They run it on first down. They get five yards. Okay, great. You know what they should have done at that point? They should have gone to the I formation. Um, the, the I formation they've been honing all year long were incredibly successful at, and they should have just run the ball like seven times, you know, like, right. you know, yeah. run the second down, third down, fourth down, you know, get a new set of downs, run it first, second, third, fourth, you will eventually get a touchdown. They're not going to stop the I formation, you know, seven times in a row. It's just not going to happen. Right. Um, and like, even if Alex Forsyth's shoulder is injured, he can still snap the ball under center. Even if somehow on this alternate timeline, Bo Nix gets injured, you know, like he can still, you know, Ty Thompson can definitely take an under center snap and hand it jordan james or whomever uh like they should have just pounded the ball against washington's softest paper um rush defense uh you know seven times out of the i formation and put the game away and they didn't and i think that was like a pretty massive and then they kicked the field goal and the field goal does them no good um that's where i i that's the major strategic error you know that 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 field goal does them no good The, the the series of events that that happened after they kicked the field goal was eminently predictable because, you know, being up seven does you no good um, in that circumstance. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was another one of these things where they got into deep in the red zone and tried, I I don't want to say got cute because that's not really what they were doing, but when, when they on, on second and five from the 10, they called a pass play. They had just finished running the ball 11 straight. Oh, I don't times. think that was a pass play. That was the bad snap. Was that second and five? Okay. But it was, it, I mean, uh, he, he had to spike the ball because right. it was a bad snap, but I think that was a designed run. Uh, I think okay. that was, I think that was actually a pitch play. Um, mm. But anyway, interesting. But in any yeah, case, that bad snap was no good. Like that, yeah. that was the, that's when my heart hit my stomach. I was just like, Oh no, Oregon's going to lose this game. This is Stanford 2018 all over again. Yeah, it was, uh, it was just a, uh, it's like if you could write down, okay, no matter what, don't do this. Mm. That's what they did. Um, and, and it was, it was very, I mean, I'm sure ducks, duck fans heart sunk when, when they had to kick that field goal, uh, being again, being that close to the to the goal line again, and coming away with only three, um, you know, I'm sure that there was a lot of heart heartbreak going on there just from that sequence. I mean, it's just like it 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 doesn't help you. Like with Nick's injured, the field goal doesn't help you. You know, you're giving up a score, and then it's going to be tied. So so even if you mean like you're you're not going to drive the field without Knicks in, in four minutes, you're definitely going to punt and then you're going to hand them the ball back. Um, or you play for overtime and you're not going to be able to keep up with them scoring, um, you know, without your quarterback, like you, on the other hand with Knicks, like Knicks could have played zero more snaps in the game after he gets injured on that third down. If you hand the ball off and just run, run, run to get a touchdown, you can run, you can run on every successive play. You, Mm -hmm. you run to get the touchdown, Washington scores, you run to run out the clock. No one has to throw a pass. Ty Thompson doesn't have to do anything except for catch the snap and hand the ball. Like, you know, like there's the, like it was, it was just the wrong decision to take the field goal in that situation. Like, Mm -hmm. um, and if you're asking like, oh man, 
you know, like, I don't know about going for it in that fourth down. Well, then, like, what do you think about going for it on fourth and one when, you know, the opponent is in field goal range with a tied score yeah. where all they have to do is kick a field goal to win the game, which is exactly what happened. Like, right. If you're not confident enough to go for it on, you know, fourth down in the low red zone, then, you know, what are you doing? Um, I, well, yeah, and that's like, been their the whole season. They have they've been consistently going for it on fourth down, and in some cases, the distance didn't really make that much difference. They were very confident in uh, fourth and what you know we might think of as a little bit longer, like a four fourth and four, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to a, you know something where it's just the quarterback just stretching a yard ahead and he's got it. Uh, they've shown real confidence in going for those and not going for it in that one instance uh, was out of character with what they've been doing most of the season. Yeah, it was really strange. Um, And uh, and in my opinion, that decision more than anything else, uh, you know, is what, what cost in the game in terms of game management. And I think that's a, you know, Dan Laney, this was his 10th game coaching ever, you know, I, I, you know, yeah. Uh, this was not Kalen DeBoer's 10th yeah. game coaching ever. You know, that no. guy has like 58, like, you know, like, like it was in NAIA, but that's still like game management, you know, like that, right. that dude's an old man, you know, of coaching. Um, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, no, he's going to make mistakes. I mean, that this coaching staff is going to make mistakes like the other night. I just wish it had come in some other game when, you know, the game wasn't on the line when you're, beating the hell out of Colorado or something, go ahead and mm-hmm. make a couple of bonehead mistakes and learn from them, but don't do it in this game. I know, man. Like I, I generally, I, you know, the reason why I think that Oregon has, you know, beaten a bunch of teams this year that are long tenured coaches, you know, Kalani Stocky and Justin Wilcox and Chip Kelly and, uh, and, and, and David Shaw is because I actually do think this is a very smart coaching staff. It's a very young mm-hmm. Coaching staff, you know, Kelly Dillingham's like 31, Dan Lanning's like 36, you know, his first time sort of like really controlling the thing. Um, you know, Powledge is probably the one who's really calling the plays on the defense. Like he's a relatively young guy too. Like all these guys are sort of getting it for the first time, but I like the way that they play in the margins in most of these games and the way that they sort of diversify and install, like, I think this is a really sharp coaching staff. They're just sort of like a little wet behind the ears and Mm -hmm. like, you know, it makes me excited for 2023. It's why we sort of like jumped ahead and started talking about that and what the additions they need to make to the transfer portal. But like, I, I'm, I'm genuinely like, even though they're going to be losing a good chunk of the team for 2023, I'm genuinely excited because I do think this is a pretty fl- flipping bright coaching staff with a, that's a bunch of really great recruiters. I'm really looking forward to how the team is constructed in 2023. And I really hope that like, as painful as this game is, I really hope that it acts as sort of like, you know, a growth experience, you know, like a uh, forum and, and, um, and they still have all their, their, you know, realistic goals for the season a- ahead of them. You know, they have, sure. the, you know, we're, we're going to talk in a minute about the Utah game, but like, you know, it's eminently possible that they win out the rest of their games. Uh, you know, they will probably be favored in each of the, their the subsequent games that they play. Um, and, uh, and, and, and go to the Rose bowl for, for, you know, pretty exciting, you know, contest. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, anything else you want to say before we, we wrap up talking about this Washington game? No, no, I just agree with the, your take on the coaching staff. You know, they've, they've shown an ability, I think in several of the games to make adjustments, uh, not just halftime adjustments, but adjustments in game and to come into games with plans that take advantage of the opponent's weaknesses or tendencies. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one, one of the great things about, um, I think Dillingham's coaching is he's, he will 
take advantage of what the defense will give them and he'll just keep going after it. He's not married to, you know, some personal philosophy that causes him to keep working at something that isn't what the defense will give them. And I think that's really encouraging going forward that he doesn't have that, all that ego, like, you know, we've seen from, from some previous duck uh, head coaches who want to play one style. And if the opponent has your number on that style, they don't care. They're just going to keep going at it. Uh, yeah. Even, even if it costs them the game. So that's very, I think very positive thing about uh, coach Dillingham. All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little about the upcoming uh, game against Utah. So have you watched any of Utah's uh, football games this season, Farm? Just a little bit. Uh, you know, here and there, um, you know, I've watched them uh, against uh, several opponents as, as the season go, goes along. And, you know, sometimes it's interfered with by other games or other activities. So I don't have a whole lot of, uh, a, a whole lot of experience watching them, but they, you know, they seem sort of similar to me and I'm, I'll be interested in reading your article uh, later this week. You know, they, they seem like kind of the similar sort of club that they were in previous years, maybe not quite as, as tough defensively, but they do seem to have a pretty decent uh, defensive squad again this year. Uh, there, I mean, I do think their defense is really well coached, um, but like, yeah, they sort of, they, they're, they're nowhere near as good as they were in 2019. Good. Um, and uh, they're not even as good as they were last year. I mean, they really just like the, it, they, their their rush defense is a trick. Like uh, right before we started recording this podcast, I wrapped up a podcast with Greg from No Truck Stops. Uh, he's you know Utah uh, a guy, and uh, um, yeah, it was just like we were racing to 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 outdo each other to talk about how bad this rush defense has been, you know, by Utah standards, <laughs> or really by Pac-12 standards. Like it's just it's yet another one of these teams that just can't stop efficiency running, um, yeah. and. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, I sort of feel like, you know, Utah's, you know, Utah's whole thing is they don't really recruit that well, but they, they develop up their players, um, mm-hmm. like right up the middle, their, their defensive tackles and their two inside linebackers. Um, they're just like, they're not really rotating them that much. Like they only have like five guys playing those four spots. Um, and I think they get tired and I also just think they're not, you know, that good. Um, like they're, I don't think they're terrible or anything, but they're just like not the scary Utah, you know, players that they have mm. had in the past. And so teams just run up the middle on them, you know, uh, pretty much all, all day long. Like USC probably would have beat them if they'd realized that and just ran Travis die, you know, uh, uh, you know, all, for most of the game. But like you, Lincoln Riley wants to be like really clever and uh, mm-hmm. and and not take like sort of the obvious, you know, vulnerability, you know, unlike a lot of things that we were saying about Oregon staff in the previous segment. And and what I'll say about Utah, like I, I do think that staff is clever and makes adjustments um um you know they definitely adjusted to usc and is why they beat them um you know when they when the other problem with utah's defense is they don't have a pass rush you know which like not like oregon does either but like you know the same thing is true they just do not get home at all if they're only rushing for but like you just sort of nicks can go that that's great news for oregon yeah, I mean that's the thing that really makes this game difficult to predict is both Oregon and Utah are dealing with some like potentially, you know, serious injuries. Utah has been playing the guys who were hurt, you know, rising and um Kincaid in the last couple of games. Um, but like really sort of using them sparingly and in ways that they like 
like like Kincaid's only getting uh, you know s- some snaps and and like they're sort of short passes, not the like the the world beater that he was against USC, mm-hmm. and they're not using Rising for the stuff that Ludwig all the time uses Rising for, which is like I need you to run the ball to get me out of this jam that my bad play calling has gotten us into. <laughs> um, like he wasn't doing that, you know, because apparently, you know, Rising's name is still bothering him. Now, of course, right. this being Utah, they'll probably back be back to 100% and will, you of know, course. throttle the Ducks on Saturday. But like, yeah. you know, on the other, you know, but we don't know. And also they've got some offensive line injuries. You know, they've played five different dudes at two, at, at the center and right guard spot. Um, and the guys who they were playing by the end of the Stanford game last week were two different freshmen um, at those two spots. Um, and like, it's not like I'm really in love with the rest of the guys. Um uh, so like, you know, um, you know, like that, that I, I'm not, you know, please don't mistake any of this as like, I, I'm, I hope that Utah is injured. What I am saying is that like, it's really difficult to make predictions about this game, you know, because there are significant injuries on both yes. sides that we just don't know how, you know, they're going to play out. Um, like, you know, both Greg and I, um, agreed that like, if this game, if everybody is fully healthy on both sides, um, that, w- that could reasonably be healthy. Like Brant Keith, he's not coming back. That guy's in like sweats and, and, and crutches on the sideline. But like yeah. if everybody, you know, who reasonably could be playing in this game, Oregon probably should be favored. Um, you know, it, it is a home game and there's an like Oregon's rush offense is the best, you know, is the best aspect of any team on the field. And Utah's rush defense is um, pretty bad. Um, and so there's a sort of, and the other thing is that Utah's offense tends to take a while to get going. Um, right. Like they, um, like even against Stanford, they just, it was a pretty cold start. Like it was only 14 to seven at halftime, um, which, you know, may shock anybody who looks at the final score and sees 42 right. to seven, you know, <laughs> like, well, it's yeah. because like their first five possessions, like three of them were empty possessions and it required, and on their two scoring drives, it required them converting three different fourth downs. Um, yeah. There was even a fake punt, you know, at the very beginning of the game to keep that from being a three and out. Um, so like, uh, the, 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 you know, there's an obvious blueprint that Greg and I talked about where like, okay, you know, jump to an early lead and then shut the game down, just running the ball, you know, and keep the ball out of Cam Rising's hands. And that way, even mm-hmm. if he is healthy and even if Kincaid is healthy, well, first of all, that's the only, you know, he and Devon Bailey are the only guys he ever throws to. He's got like total lock on syndrome, um, for, for only like two receivers, um, and like, you know, even though their rush offense is relatively, Utah's rush offense is relatively efficient, you know, like if you get an early lead, then they're not going to be able to lean on that. And the other thing is that they're super formation predictable. Like that's the other thing that Greg and I talked about is that like the numbers are super duper clear that like if they are under center, they're going to run the ball. If they have two tight ends, they're going to run the ball. And if they're under center with two tight ends, they are 100% going to run the ball. Um <laughs> Uh, and you know, they really only pass out of certain looks. Um, and they're, you know, it's, it's sort of predictable with the play, you know, in, in between like the, the rush versus pass predictability based on the formation and the fact that they only throw the ball to two guys, like it's, it's an extremely predictable offense and they're dealing with some potential injuries and they're dealing with some very real injuries to their offensive line right up the middle, which is where they like to run. Like this is if you have a clever coaching staff that's not outsmarting themselves, which we just, you know, spent a whole segment right. talking about for yes. Oregon, like this and everybody is healthy. This should be a fairly comfortable win for Oregon. It's just like, you don't know whether or not 
everybody is healthy and you don't know whether or not the staff is going to outsmart themselves. So like, well, yeah, it's, it's uh, true. It's interesting how frequently though, that strategy for Oregon, which is basically ball possession and grind it out and score and keep the ball away from uh, what appears to be certainly when he's healthy, a productive uh, quarterback Mm -hmm. Um, in almost every game over the last five to five to seven games, that's been the strategy that seems sure. like the one that the other team isn't going to be able to deal with. That their uh, defense yeah. is not going to be able to stop Oregon's running game. And seem, a lot of that is Oregon's running game is just good. I mean, they've got and I, I, that, like, ironically, the two, the only two games that they didn't employ that strategy against were against Cal and Colorado, which were teams that they, you know, wound up blowing out anyway, but like, right. um, you know, like they can win in other ways, but yeah, on virtually every other game that they played, uh, like that was, you know, get, get a lead and then sit on it with a run game against a weak rush defense. Like, it's not like mm-hmm. they don't know how to do that. They right. definitely do. Um, so like, yeah, I mean, that blueprint is there, you know, to, to beat Utah and actually beat them fairly comfortably, but like, it's going to be dependent on where the relative injury situation is like, and whether or not Oregon t- coaches, you know, get over this, like, you know, the outsmarting themselves stuff, um, which like, I don't know. I don't know. The, the, the way that I write my articles, I guess this podcast is supposed to be about like the way that we write articles, you know, for, for, oh, it for is? people. Um, Interesting. The way that, I, well, I mean, we could just like straight up cover sports, but like, that's what the site is for. The podcast is like, that's like advertising the site, I guess, um, <laughs> or like some behind the scenes stuff about the talk, site. talk about like, our insights into basketball. I, I very deliberately write my articles th- to be free of s- comparisons to Oregon. Like if you read any of my mm-hmm. preview articles, they are not Oregon should beat them at this. Oregon should beat them right. at this. Oregon should look out for this and they're going to lose. Um, it's like, it is a, as close as I can make it a straight up profile of this team. And the reason that I do that is not because I'm afraid of making predictions. I'm, I'm not, uh, but like, yeah, I just often find that, uh, you know, not, productive because there's just too many things that I can't because it's college football, you know, man, like, you know, like, um, but like more to the point, like the reason that I rate the articles, the way that I do is because I want to lay out, like, these are the strengths and weaknesses of the opponent. And so if you see Oregon exploiting those weaknesses, then you'll know that they have a smart coaching staff. Mm -hmm. And if you see them failing to take advantage of those things and instead running directly into the storm, um, then you'll know that they have a dumb coaching staff. And like, (laughs) I, I feel like, I feel like a lot of the articles that I wrote about Mario Cristobal, about the opponents that Mario Cristobal was going to be facing, should occlude people in to the fact that, like, I didn't think that they were making the right choices, you know, a, a lot of the time. Um, which is weird because I sort of got this mar- reputation as a Mario Cristobal defender, and I was like, I don't think that I am. Like, I, th- I think I painted some fairly clear pictures here, but, like, I don't know, man. Like, um, some people have but- to be bashed over the head with it, I guess. But I mean, like, I guess there is a bit of arrogance to the way that, you know, it's like, well, I noticed these problems. And so therefore those problems are real. And so therefore, therefore, if you don't notice the same problems and exploit them, then you must be a dummy. Um, You know, that being intelligent equals agreeing with me is, uh, you know, the sort of the formulation here. Um, But I mean, how could I believe anything else? I, you know, like, like what what would I, if I thought I was, 
Yeah, right. Like if I thought I wasn't qualified to do these things, I shouldn't be doing it. You know, <laughs> like of course right. I think I'm qualified to. Like that's implicit in you writing these articles. So like, I yeah. guess that shouldn't be. Well, and it's you know, to me, for me, it's like I read these articles. I'm going, okay, so here here are the things that I should be watching for. Not not whether or not the coaching staff is smart or dumb, but just my enjoyment of the games goes up because I can look at this and say, aha, that's what was in Hith's article on Friday. I got to say, those are the what, most like, those are the most gratifying comments that I get. Yeah. Is, it's amazing. It's, and, and they're in there every week. I mean, you know, uh, and, and it's just, it's amazing to me that, that these tendencies, uh, I, I guess, I'm not really sure what the best yeah. word is you know, for, tendencies for the, is a good what word they're for doing. Um, you know, that, that they, they continue to play out and, and you don't, you don't get well, what you they're end coaching up with like is, 18 year old kids. Like right, you can't yeah. teach them everything. You can't teach right. them to be as smart as you are. Like all, you know, so like a lot of times the reasons tendencies develop is because it's like, well, this is the only thing I can get them to do in this situation. Right, right. So like, even though, it, you know, the opponent is going to know that that's what we're going to do. If we try to do something else, we'd fail miserably. So, you know, I'd rather take, a, a, a successful thing that the opponent knows is coming than an unsuccessful thing that surprises them, but but is right. a, but, a pleasant surprise because they stopped it. You know, the level of consistency is very gratifying in in the team is very gratifying as well because of exactly what you're talking about, which you've got a, a bunch of college age kids. Uh, when once in a while somebody gets a wild hair and goes charging off, um, you know, we've got a, a couple of linebackers that like to do that kind of thing. But the fact that the coaching staff can take this group of, of highly talented athletes who are young and who believe strongly in their ability and their ability to impact a college football game and get them to be as focused and consistent as they are is pretty impressive, frankly. Yeah. So like, I, I think a lot of those things are available against Utah and we will just have to see whether or not they take advantage of them, but it's not like this, it's a juggernaut team, you know, with full spectrum dominance that does everything equally well. And, and so therefore, you know, it's, it, it's, it's attacking a suit of armor, which is equally thick at all places. Like, nah, man, you know, it's attacking, you know, it's attacking somebody, you know, in, in a leotard with like a little, you know, bat symbol on his chest. That's the only mm -hmm. bulletproof spot. If you've read your dark Knight rises. Um, absolutely. The, Got it right here uh, in the room. Oh, very good. Um, like, you know, I, 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 there's there are some obvious vulnerabilities from Utah, and so it will be interesting to see. You know, does Oregon take advantage of them? Do they avoid the stuff that the Utah's strongest at? Do they, you know, game plan around that? Do they get the the guys up and motivated after a pretty disappointing, you know, rivalry loss? Um, you know, there these been a bunch of things that you know that are open, but you know, as I think I will make clear in my article about Utah, like this is not this is not the 2021 team that ran Oregon out of rice Eccles and out mm -hmm. of Las Vegas. Like this is, you know, in many ways it is a different team. And frankly, in many ways, even that team was not a team that should have done that. You know, that, that right. happened for, for some things that had to do with the way that, that Oregon's um, season finished, you know, in 2021 that I, I don't think anybody needs elaboration on like, no, um, 
that you know like like if anybody thinks that utah is you know the boogeyman hiding under their bed you know i that's that is i think the purpose of the articles that i write is that like it you know when i wrote my georgia preview it was like oh boy i can hardly find a weakness here um you know duck fans get ready for a load you know here um you know everybody every other team that i've written an article about this year and this will continue with utah and it will continue with oregon state you know is like yeah there's some pretty clear you know uh vulnerabilities here and, and you know the strategy for how to attack them should be obvious upon you know including reading this you know strategic planning document um and uh it, and it's just a matter of you know whether or not the team and the staff takes advantage of them um you know i look forward to writing the article and to you know pointing these things out lots of film study clips uh uh you know i i, I have almost a full season on utah so i have like you know a whole yeah. range of 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 games to choose from you know should be pretty colorful um Although it's sort of, you know, circumscribed because like the team sort of changed as they've undergone different injuries. Um, sure. Yeah. The, so, yeah, I, you without, know, I, without Cam Rising is different than with and uh, yeah, a hobbled definitely. Cam Rising is different than a fully healthy one. But. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, the the way that they're passing offense is structured with and without Brant Keithy is fairly, you know, different. So I'm definitely, you know, I'm probably not going to choose any clips that have Brant Keithy in them for that reason. Um you know, I, I'm probably not going to choose any offensive clips from the Wazoo game because Cam Rising wasn't playing in the Wazoo game, you know, so, uh, you know, but like still, I got plenty of clips, you know, to choose from. It should, you know, should be an enjoyable, you know, and illuminating articles. I hope all of mine are. Um, uh, and, and yeah, that, you know, like I said, you know, this is, this isn't, you know, this, this unbeatable juggernaut that, that, that ran Oregon out of the, the building twice last year. Like it's, uh, um, you know, it, it, it's a team that if that if Oregon has, you know, its pieces back and its coaches aren't dummies, you know, should should uh, ha- um, have a an easily available blueprint to win the game, you know, barring crazy stuff. That's the other thing that I can't. Pre- the, the other reason why sure. I, I tend to shy away from predictions is because crazy stuff happens in college football. And then you like, oh, you said that this, you know, sets up for, an, you know, and then it didn't happen. Yeah. I was like, well, I couldn't predict like five special teams turnovers, dude. Like, you right. know. Um, <laughs> You know, and I just don't don't have to deal with that, which I don't know. Maybe that does make me a coward, you know, that I don't have to deal with like, you know, dumb people chirping at me on Twitter. Like, I you know. guessing every conceivable thing. I mean, I don't I'm not yeah, sure right. anybody can do that. Yeah, right. Uh, all right. I, I think that's enough for, for this week. Uh, uh, do you have any parting words of wisdom for us, Storms? No, I just encourage people to, you know, continue to sober up and uh, to to work up to getting back into duck football uh on saturday i think that there's going to be a lot of healing coming coming down the road uh on uh, on saturday for the ducks Hmm. uh all right that's going to do it for us this week uh thanks everybody uh for joining us and we'll catch you on the flip side